All right, so 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in, the son, and it is in his Son. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Does not have life. And we, we kind of very quickly got into verse 6 at the end of last week. And we talked about the water and the blood. Uh, is there anything else that you guys wanted to discuss about that? Any, any final comments? There's actually a, a lot of commentary out there that will discuss what, what they think the water and the blood is. But I think most appropriate is the, is the baptism and the crucifixion. And John's wrapping that all up. Uh, in this, uh, but there's a whole lot of stuff out there if you go out there and look. Um, but but the baptism and the and the crucifixion, and then uh, the second part of six says, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. What do you think about that. No argument. Yeah. Well. <laughs> So I was, I was just flipping around to different references for verse 6. And John 14, 17 says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, but it neither sees him, capital H in him, nor knows him, but you know, you know him, capital H, and for he, capital H, dwells with you, and will be in you. So that's the, like, you know, where it talks about Jesus' blood and water, but then the Spirit bearing witness, because the Spirit is truth. We have the Spirit with us all the time. How often do we acknowledge that omnipresence of someone we can lean and rely on. Yeah. You know. What I've tried to be more intentional about in my prayer time is is, you know, a lot of times we'll pray to God the Father, or I'll pray to God the Father, or to Jesus, but there's not a lot of spirit there. So sometimes I specifically pray, God the Holy Spirit. Because it, it seems like we almost kind of want to put Father and Son here and then kind of under that the Spirit. Which really is it's not it's not that way, right? It's not that's not biblical within the Trinity. And so I try to go out of my way to God the Spirit when I'm praying, just to help me remember that I do have the Spirit living in me and the Spirit is part of the Trinity of God. The Spirit is God. And I don't want to quench the Spirit. Which is exactly what, what you're getting at. 
That was a puzzle, but what's that puzzle look for? No, my pen. Um, a fleeting thought that disappeared? No, my pen. So when we're looking at that, that latter part of verse 6, it's, it's the Spirit is the one who testifies. And in 7, 8, 9, 10, we're going to see this word over and over again of testimony. So testifies, testimony. Talk to me about that. What do you guys think about this? Testifying, this testimony. I give an account as I keep a record and, the, and just keep spreading the gospel of that record. Mm-hmm. And you give a testimony of what? Hmm. Well, testifying is spoken, the testimony can be just action. Okay, good. So we're going we're gonna we're gonna distinguish here in a second um, the the testimony of men through words and the testifying or the testimony of the spirit through works. Right? So kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Um, but David, that's good. We have our own testimony, right? And we're supposed to share our testimony with others. So, so that's good. So, it, so it, in a sense, it's it's our testimony to our salvation to Christ, right? But let's look at it from the the context of a first century Jew, a first century Christian, uh, a first century Roman living in Judea, right? And really, we can go all the way back to Deuteronomy, but we have this this. Uh, this kind of legalistic viewpoint of the culture within testimony or providing test a testament and how many witnesses did it take? Three. Two or three. It took three, right? And so uh, when we look at in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 19.15, that's exactly what it's going to talk about, right? So if you have a charge to bring up against somebody, you know, one witness wouldn't suffice. Right? And and that was the same in Jewish law at this time is the same. Now, John specifically in Ephesus, right? And Ephesus is where? Asia Minor. Right? And it's part of the Roman Empire still, right? The Roman Empire. And in the Roman Roman culture you still had to have more than one witness. You still needed two or three witnesses. Right? So, so John can really relatable take these things because remember his audience that there might have been some Jewish Christians in there, but he's in Ephesus. He's not in Israel. He's not in Jerusalem. Right? So there may have been some Jews in there, but we know for a fact that there was quite a few Gentiles in there. Right? And so just taking what they would have known from the culture of this whole testimony idea and applying it to the three well, here we can see it's not necessarily three persons. It's the Spirit, right? That's abundantly clear. Like, we can all see that he's referring to the Spirit, right? So that's one. And then he's taking the baptism and the crucifixion of two works to provide the three testimonies of, of what he's getting at is truth here, right? But the reason why I'm making such a big deal of this testimony testament thing is because John's using this word over and over and over again in the next few verses. He actually used it in the very first part of 1 John, which I was in the study, so I'm sure you went over it. But he was an eyewitness to 
Jesus being the Messiah and rising from the dead. Mm -hmm. So now he's talking about how the Spirit is going to be our our eyewitness or our way to know that that's mm -hmm. what happened. It's like gonna it's gonna witness to us as believers, right? In our spirit when it communicates with us, right? And what what Debbie's referring to in the first chapter, remember John said, "I I I heard him, I touched him, I smelt him. We were there physically with him." And you can trust my testimony to be true because I was there. You're getting an eyewitness account. Yeah. Very good. Uh, and Darius, I think what you were referring to is the two or three witnesses comes out of Matthew 18 and 16. Yeah, I was in um, Deuteronomy 17 as well. Okay, so you want to read uh, 19? Yeah. Matthew, Deuteronomy, you know. Deuteronomy 19, Deuteronomy 19, 15 is what we're going to see in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Matthew 18, 16 is where we're going to see it in the New Testament. Just not the only places, Matthew but two spots where that is brought up. Matthew 18, 16? Mm-hmm. Done. And, and to your point, Debbie, of, of the testimony of somebody who was there physically with Christ, we, we brought up last week that you know, John was at the baptism, and John was at the crucifixion. John was at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. John was at, I'm, I'm sorry, his earthly ministry. John was at the end of his earthly ministry. And he saw the Spirit ascending at the baptism, so it was real to him. Mm -hmm. uh, so verse 9 says, If we receive the testimony of men... The testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Talk to me about this testimony. I, I think it's really interesting that he starts off if we receive the testimony of men. It's not if you receive the testimony of men or if you have received the testimony. But just think throughout your day, your week, your life, you receive the testimony of men. And it's, yeah, I have no problem receiving that because it's there. We can see it. Like John was with Jesus, there's no there's no problem with these things, right? And that's coming from, you know, uh, uh, another sinner, somebody who is fallible, somebody who isn't always truth. So if if we can take that testimony, then surely we can take a far greater one that comes directly from God. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, and I think. <clears throat> Um, I'm going to say during this time, um, again, all the, the false teachings were starting to, to arise, and especially if he's in a place where there's not a lot of Christian Jews, right? He's trying to tell people that, hey, don't take man's word for it when you got, you got God's actual word for it, right? Um, anyway, my, my thoughts, right? Yeah, because... No, I, I can never say that word. Gnostics? Gnostics. Gnosticism? Yeah. Yeah, and, and two points on that, Mikey, is is Gnosticism was really big during this time period, especially in Ephesus, right? John was really fighting that Gnosticism. And a belief of Jesus with the Gnostics was he's this super spiritual being, right? But here John is bringing the flesh, his humanity, into focus. So that's a great point. And then also where you're talking about uh, the false prophets and the false teachings and the false idea of Christ— that's also, uh, John's going to kind of close this out 
reminding us reminding us of that in, in his first epistle and first John. That's two great points. Darius, did you have a thought? No. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Any other thoughts? Some y'all are really cool. I mean, just some, some application, right? Yeah. To, to today, right? There's always man's testimony on but we have the truth. You know, we have we have the actual truth, mm-hmm. right? So, again, this is God's truth, um, as opposed to man's testimony of what they say truth is. Mm-hmm. Well, currently in the mornings, I'm going through Job, right? And when you speak of man's testimony, you've got his three friends, uh, Eliaphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and a lot of the things they say are true. Right? A lot of their testimony is true. It's not comforting, and it's not applicable to Job's situation, but a lot of it is true. But one where they really mess up, and, and again, this is the culture of the day, but if you're following God, then you're going to be blessed. You're going to have prosperity. You're, you know, you're going to have health. You're going to have children. You're going to have lots of livestock. And if you're in rebellion against God, then you're not. And there was no room for middle ground there, right? And so just taking what, what we know to be true from the testimony of God and making sure we're communicating that amongst men is really important. Uh, look, at, look at, if we look at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Right, this closes out this closes out John's gospel. And the heading in my Bible says the purpose of this book. Right? The purpose of this book. And he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. John twenty, verse thirty. John, his 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 gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now you could take that language and put it in every single chapter of 1 John. Right? And, and we're going to read about almost everything he's, he's written in those two verses in his gospel. But again, those signs are important when we're talking about this witness, this testimony idea. Of the Spirit... These two, these two big signs of the baptism and the crucifixion um, of, of this testimony. And in verse 10 it says, Whoever believes, uh, back in 1 John, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. What do you think is significant about says has the testimony in himself? As the Spirit. Okay. That is testifying. Yep. It's, it's the spirit, but this is also, this would is you, also, would you ahead. read 10 again? What, what translation do you have? I have King James. Okay, good. Because I need to back up. I need to back yeah, I'm up. I'm sorry. I have New King James. What does your New King James say? I, we need to back up. We need to, we need to go to uh, the beginning of verse 7. So read 7 and 8 for me from New King James. For there are three that bear witness, and there are three that bear witness in heaven: uh, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one, 
Verse 8, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Okay, so who, everybody else's translation probably is almost completely different than that, right? Mine has a little asterisk, and when I click on it, it talks about some ad. Perfect. Tell us about it. It says, um, a few very late manuscripts add in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, and we have three witnesses on earth. Yeah, and so, so when I was looking into that, because uh, occasionally I, I do like to look into King James, uh, but I thought it was interesting on how theirs was so much different. Those two verses were so much different than the ESV, the CSV. And so I looked at some commentary on that, and uh, it, it kind of gotten down to, I want to say, uh, the 7th century, right? And I want to say is Eusebius, 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 right? And uh, all of this extra stuff was not, was not translated from the Greek. It's not in the Greek. Right, and so as as he's translating, uh, he's being he's being pressured to put this in, and he says, "I'm not going to put this in unless somebody can show me a manuscript from the Greek." And then all of a sudden, poof, a manuscript comes up, which he could clearly tell was a new manuscript. Right? How convenient. But he said he would do it if somebody produced one. So reluctantly, he did do it, which is, which that translation later on would then become, would be used for the King James. And that's how it got added in there. And so the thing we have here is that you have this big push to show the Trinity. When when the text itself kind of takes care of that, but it seemed like they needed, from a human perspective, to pack that in there to make sure people got the point. Take that, King James only fans. Debbie can write the whole King James. <laughs> does anybody? Does anybody else have King James or New King James? Oh my phone. Oh my phone. I've got one at home. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like I like looking at my my King James, um, but I also like the ESV. And lately, I've really been using the CSV. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm sorry we passed that up. I thought that was important because as we're going through that, and like you said, that you have New King James, we need to deal with that. Um, so verse ten: Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. All right, so here again, we've, we've already talked about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and, and it kind of seems like John is just confirming that the Holy Spirit is part of this whole Trinity idea. He is God, and he is dwelling inside of us. I, I like that because uh, a lot of people, <clears throat> I guess this is kind of more of like a, one side, the non-believers, they want like this, like this proof that God is real or, or like the Bible is real. And while we, we believe it, we're like, oh, how do we prove it? And, and it goes beyond like the modern kind of vision of 
of uh, I forget the, the term like with the proofs, providing proofs. It's there is like a nature, like an animal knows to eat. We know to eat without mm -hmm. being told to eat. You don't have to prove that you need to eat. And so it goes above and below yeah. this modern science. And it's in us. Especially you know, those they're they're actively calling God a liar, even though they know it to be true. Mm -hmm. So that we don't have to prove these things to people. We just have to bring the word and, and kind of rely on the Holy Spirit to move people. And that's a great point because as John is going to close this letter and he talks about, you know, those who choose not to believe, it's really not so much that they're not believing, but just like you said, they're really just lying of who Jesus was and and the fact that that there is a God, He is God. So that's a great point of moving past. Well, you're not you're not just not believing; you're you're lying. In, in your rebellion to the truth, and what is there's a verse in the Old Testament that says you know he had he had he had written himself in our in our beings in our hearts that we knew that there is a is a God and now maybe everybody from the Old Testament might yeah. not have been able to Elohim yeah. calls atheists stupid. It's like the only time God's Bible references atheists and it's just kind of like a one-off like we don't even have to talk about them. They're dumb and they deserve help. <laughs> Paul says the same thing. Yeah. Became fools and exchanged the glory of God uh, for, for immortal things that they uh, worship the creation rather than the creator. Such a bad paraphrase, but um, it's interesting too. Like looking at, at this paragraph, like all this kind of legal language, testifying. Like I'm just kind of thinking about like a courtroom. Like if you were to testify, you would have to you know stand up, put your hand on the Bible, usually, and you know. That's where it's all about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And um, it harkens back to um, the law, accepting you know, a, a testimony, a, a, a witnessing of, of the truth on the you know, testimony of three witnesses. Now we have three, the, the, the greatest witnesses, um, the, the only truly um, sinless, perfect witnesses, bearing witness, God himself bearing witness about who his son is, and, and to deny him is not believe is, is to deny, to deny is to look at God and call him a liar because this is what he has declared about his son. Um, well said. It's amazing language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well said. And even more so with John because John was there. Right? Again, back to like, hey, like, you're not, like, you can't tell me different. I was there. I've mm -hmm. seen these things with my own eyes. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? just kind of adds on, piling on. You can never be a, a better witness than Jesus for God, but, but John was there too. Yeah, think about what, what Jesus told Thomas in the upper room, right? When he said something like, you know, now you believe that you've seen me, but how great are those who believe who have not seen me? Something like that. Bad paraphrase, but, right? So think about how frustrating it must have been for those apostles, those disciples who did eat and drink and walked and spoke with Jesus who knew he was the son of God but then as you go on through human history after after the ascension right when someone says no that's that's a lie think about just like how oh man I was there. frustrating that must have been yeah yeah I was, I was reading John Calvin's Institutes and he was talking about um, Exodus uh, and he was making he was making a comment about that, which applies here, where he was saying you had like what forty thousand Israelites or something like that, and and he, and it was written 
by Moses to the people who had experienced it. So we read all about all these things that we would call crazy and unscientific. Uh, he wrote it to the people who experienced it, mm -hmm. and just 40,000 people were just okay with this lie. So that kind of indicates that that's, that that's a truth. These people were like, yeah, that's what happened. And they told it to their kids. And no one in the 40,000, or, or I don't know, I forgot how many people it were, not, none of them did, you know, try to disprove it. Same here, we've got, we've got all these people, um, he was writing to, in a lot of these spots, he was writing to people who had experienced it, he got the information from people who had lived it, mm -hmm. and so if, if he had all this information, and he was preaching it back to people who had lived it, and no one's kind of trying to disprove it, that, that's an indication of it. People try to, try to disprove the, the historical veracity of it, and yet one of the most, um, uh, of his day, the most uh, trusted historian of his day, Luke, well not well, Josephus, but Luke, uh, Mark of Luke. Yeah, Luke, he was um, the doctor, right? He was a doctor. Yeah, so he, when people look at historical records, that's somebody that they look at in antiquity for trust, trustworthy and verifiable uh, information. And, and you know, the, the, the stuff that's out there to prove the gospel while it might be hard to find, you know, like whole libraries of all this stuff, we still have more of that stuff than we do to prove Caesar, you know? And so it, it, it's, we have all these proofs, or not proofs, these, these things that are very strong indicators of truth, and people just don't want to believe. Mm -hmm. And so it, they're, they're actively trying to, to call for a lie. Yeah, and, and the people who John is writing to in the early part of this epistle, he says, this is nothing new. Like, you, you knew this, right? We need to get back to this. And that goes right along with what you're saying. Yeah. Are you stewing back there? Yeah. I'm enjoying the garlic bread with my stuff. <laughs> Fair enough. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this, and this life is in his Son. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't think we need to beat up those three verses. I mean, it, we've kind of hit all of those already up to this point, but does anybody have anything they'd like to add, or are you guys good to go to 13? Sally Forth. All right. Uh, the heading again in mind says that you may know, mm -hmm. that you may know, so going back to uh, John's gospel, the purpose, right? He says, I write these things to you, in verse 13, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is a confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Right? So we're getting this, this assur assurance. Assurance is a major focal point for John. Right? He's assuring these believers. Right? You are indwelt with God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, uh, I think in, in, in chapter 2, paid for your sins, he uses that big word propitiation, right? 
And because you have believed, you have eternal life. If you have the Son, you have eternal life. Right? So there's no more Old Testament, Yahweh, sacrifices. No, it's Yahweh, Jesus, the Messiah, paying your sin debt. You have to have faith in him to have the Father. Right? And so he's giving them this assurance and in 14, we have this whole idea, and this is a confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Let me tie 14 and 15 together. 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So, he hears us. We know he has our requests. His will. What do you all think about this whole idea that John is bringing forth? I mean, it, it, I think it goes <clears throat> to saying, I don't know why, when you start to read that right, and you think, oh, prosperity, God's prosper, but that His will, that part is, is part one of the most important parts. To me, yes, I'm, I'm thankful that He hears us, right? That, that Burning in, you know, the God of the universe. Um, but to me, the key part is, is His will, right? So, so when I know that I am in the Spirit, that I am, and I ask, and something you know doesn't happen, it's because of His will. But I know that He does hear me. So, just wait, or hey, maybe that's not His will for me to have that, whatever the case may be. So, mm -hmm. I think we're all in our in our culture. Are jaded by the prosperity gospel, name it and claim it, and I think that does come forefront to a lot of people's minds when we hear this type of language of this what we're talking about. Um, but after Layton, I want to come back to what you're talking about about him just in the first place hearing us. Go ahead, Layton. What do you say? Yeah, we, we want to conform ourselves or our desires to, to mirror God's desires. So, in a yes, prosperity gospel, they are they are twisting it, but. Uh, in a sense, if we conform, if it were possible on this earth to be as we should be 100%, then you know our will would be conformed to God's will. So everything we would ask, we would get. Just that we have the sin nature and we have all these other things that we're that, that we have a problem with. And sometimes I notice that myself when I am not doing enough Bible time and I'm a little bit more secular in my lifestyle for, for a season. I start having desires aren't sinful, but they're more worldly. And then when I get more in the Bible, you know, it's far less, it's, it's almost like night and day what I want to do. So that's kind of where we conform ourselves and our will and, our, and who we are. Yeah, I think from an application standpoint, I think there's kind of two steps there, right? So the first one I think is when we, when we recognize that whatever behavior or action or whatever whatever we're getting at is just not aligned with Christ, I think that's the first step, right? And, and maybe the second step is a two-part step in itself, but first recognizing it, and then two, being obedient. And being obedient doesn't necessarily always come with our heart being in the right place, right? But if, if we start to exercise those things or not engage in those things, even though our heart hasn't fully come to 
be a desire with God. We still desire it, but we choose not to because we want to be more like Christ. But then, like you said, as we bring more Bible in and as we grow in our, in our walk, now we don't even want to take part in those things. And, and for those of you who know Bill Sturm, he, he, he would sum that up very well in saying, look, you can't expect a, a year one Christian to act like a 10-year Christian. Right now, 10 years doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a lot of spiritual growth as opposed to someone who's one year. That, that's not the point. But the general point is, as, as you move in your, in your walk, our desires should become more and more like God's desires. And our heart shouldn't want to do those things because we're more aligned with God. Yeah. songs are being sung from a, from a church auditorium, you know, replacing the worship of God with, with ourselves. Or, or like I was telling someone a few weeks ago, and there was one that was out a few months ago, and the title of the song itself was complete heresy. There's only love in the heart of God. That is an absolute lie. But it's it's one of the top songs on the radio, on all three of the Christian radio. I, I haven't. I'm not familiar with the song, but are they are they basically getting that that love is everything and the other mm -hmm. attributes that he has like justice? Yep. Is it's taking yeah. all that out of it and just yeah. saying, oh look, it's God's a loving God. That's all that matters. Come, come be loved on, and and it's it's horrible because it's teaching them something that's not biblical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's also a great point is 
is if we go back to this whole idea that if everything is good in your life, then you're being blessed by God. And if, if it's not good, then you're being punished by God. That's a real dangerous thing to, to take in because we go through tribulations, we go through trials, uh, and and just going back to looking at Job, he was he was he was righteous in that scenario. He was guiltless. Um, but if we have that idea that you know God is punishing me, well, God might not necessarily be punishing me. So so we have to look at why we're having these difficulties in our lives. Is it because I am living in sin and God is correcting me? He's reproving me, or is it have nothing to do with that at all? So. If somebody were to ask you, um, what does it mean? What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? Isn't the blessed just if if it comes to me like we're just blessed because of Jesus? That would be my answer, yeah. right? But we we say I'm blessed because I have a big house. Um, is that, is that right? Is that correct? Um, because mine would be, I'm only blessed because of Jesus. Like, because I know him. Because he did what he did. I wouldn't put on those all those other criteria on it. I used to, but like my mind is shifted. I think that those things can be a blessing. And especially, you know, if, you know, let's just take the possession standpoint for a minute, Right? If you've worked hard and we're teaching our kids the value of hard work, we're teaching them the principle of you reap what you sow, and we're teaching them to be a good steward, then some of those things can be blessings, right? Like having nice things or, or whatever. It can be a blessing. But you're right. We have to go back to what truly makes you blessed, and that's you know having hope of an eternal life with, with God beyond this flesh. Yeah. I think yeah. Kind of from the, the passage that we've been in, like we we see John just outlining that argument so masterfully, talking about the testimony that's given by the water and the blood. The testimony about who is, is kind of the question that's been it's the testimony about Christ. And then he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's his entire purpose because ultimately that's all that, that truly matters. Um, and and the, the great blessing is, is that we get... Christ, we, we get relationship, a right relationship with God, um, but um, kind of to your, your point that you were raising earlier, babe, um, about, um, you know, where, where the, the blessing is, it's, it's not, you know, it's not all me-centered, like looking in verse 14, and he says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, it's not about us, it's about surrendering and relinquishing our will and, and submitting to his fully that the blessing is in letting go of, of our control, what we perceive, what we think is, is right, and ultimately uh, identifying with what God has declared to be right. Right. Because if we lost all those wonderful things, we're still blessed, absolutely. And and with the, the text of the microgroups this semester, it's First Peter, and First Peter is all about trials and tribulation, right? And so those people were still blessed even though their circumstances are are very difficult. So it is a great point to make that distinction between what is truly blessed and then 
what may be some blessings in our life. Layton, you're going to say something? Oh, uh, yeah, you went right into it. My, my, my spirit animal would be 1 Peter chapter 1, <laughs> and uh, where, where it says in verse 6 that, so tr be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure the trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire, tests, and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than your gold. So, you know, one of the probably biggest things that any Christian would want is security, and a real security in your salvation. And one you might not uh, see in the season, like, like the suffering and the pain. I mean, what, what greater joy is it to go through than have that assurance of your salvation? Because, right. you know, how many people are, you know, are fair weather Christians? persecution and you go through hardships. I remember the first time I, I read this verse, I was going through some hard times, and I remember driving home from work one day, and it just kind of hit me, like, at no time have I, like, questioned, is there a God? Because, you know, you know it, it's it's more like, God, why am I going through this? Can you please give me, give me a little bit of a break? But it was never like, oh, this is proof there is no God. And that was kind of a blessing that I came to. It. You know, I had this assurance, this this salvation that, that's outside of me, right? It isn't through my actions. And so sometimes, you know, he's giving you the thing that you're blessed with. And if if our if our salvation was only through our uh, a benefit of our circumstances in this life, then why would Paul tell slaves to be the best slave to your master you could be? Right? Why would he why would he not pull them out of slavery? right then and there and just those certain things but um, I guess that's as far as we're going to get tonight so next week we've got to remember we're going to come back in uh, in verse 15 huh? and we're going to finish 1st John and go into 2nd John in 3 weeks from now you say 3 weeks from now Chris did you want to end us on something real quick a final thought uh, well, I, I was reading ahead and, and there's something about it that triggered, but it'll it'll come up next week too. So okay. Don't, even, don't forget. Yeah, what they that I want this on. So even if you're going through the tough, that is a blessing, right? Yeah. You're going through it. You'll be refined, right? So back to your point, and even if you're like, that is a blessing. I mean, think about this. Going back to Job, right? God never once addressed Job's circumstances. Never once. He addressed, I created everything. I can handle everything. I am God. So, just having that assurance, okay, if God can hold the stars in the sky, he can get me through these current circumstances. I might not like it, but... It's a peace. Yeah, pretty sometimes. It's a peace that people in the world look at you like, aren't you, aren't you concerned? We have an old, I have an old team motto, and it's on the tail of our sh old team shirts, and it says it'll buff. Like, <laughs> and that's, I, it, it was our team motto, but I, that's also how I view a lot of trials and tribulations. Like, huh, all right, like, you, you brought up, you brought up Bill Sturm earlier, so 
one of his isms is you can't threaten me with heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we need to close because uh, let me let me pray real quick.